everyone. Great to see you. I was in, uh, I was in the, our Seattle church this morning, uh, preaching there on Pentecost Sunday. So I didn't want to do it twice, so I, that's not why. But, uh, but yeah, if you want to hear a Pentecost sermon, just listen to Every Nation Church Seattle. You'll hear a great sermon. <laughs> but today, we're looking at something much different than that. We're looking at the story of the first martyr uh, in the Christian church. And so, uh, you know, I was thinking about this. I go, how do you bridge that into our context? I don't know about you, but I am never afraid of being martyred. I have never had that fear. I've had lots of other fears, but that's not one of my fears. Uh, So how does this relate to us? How does the idea of, of being persecuted for the sake of the gospel, how does that, how does that fit? Now, what this, uh, as, I, as I did my study looking through this passage, it became really fear, uh, clear that this was all about facing judgment. That it was, uh, what do we do in the face of being judged by people and there being some very uh, dire consequences of that? And I thought about us, and I thought about what is one of our primary fears? I think one of our primary fears, at least it is for me, is the fear of man. Uh, in 1 John 4.18, it describes what fear is about. It says fear has to do with punishment. And so I think uh, maybe we are not afraid of being martyred for our faith, but I think we're certainly afraid of being rejected, of being judged, alienated, all those kinds of things. I think we live in that all the time. I think that we actually underestimate just how much of our daily decisions is made on the basis of fear. If you go to work, you go, okay, I have to work with these people every day. Do I really want to get into it? No, I'm just going to say, you're great, I'm great, let's just agree to get along together. And uh, that that whole process is actually the fear of man, of wanting to live in such a way uh, that appeases the potential judgment and disapproval of the people around us. We find in this story a worst-case scenario that Stephen stands up, speaks about who Jesus is, and uh, they want to silence him in every way. First of all, they, they start yelling and covering their ears. They don't want to hear what he has to say. They then go so far to quiet him as to murder him. Now, what I would like to look at then is how, in the face of that amount of opposition, that amount of judgment, How is Stephen able to be fearless? You read through this passage, which we'll do in just a moment, and there's just no fear of man in him. He is uh, entirely free to do what he believes God wants him to do and is not motivated by seeking the approval of people. Why is this so? Now, again, before we look at Stephen's example, I think think when I, when I listen to myself or I listen to us and we feel as though we fear other people, one of the places that we go is, I'm not going to care about how other people judge me. I'm just going to think about myself and do what's true to me 
and I don't care what anybody else thinks. And so we kind of swap the fear of other people for kind of only living up to our own expectations. And this kind of sends us in at least one of two directions. The first is deception. We think, I don't care what anybody, I'm just going to think what I think about myself. And you know what? I think I'm doing pretty good. So I don't want to live under any judgment. I'm not going to judge myself. I don't want you to judge me. I think I'm doing quite well. Given all that's going on in my life, I feel pretty good about myself. Uh, there's, a, there's a word for that, and it's called deception, um, where, we, where we trick ourselves into thinking that we're way better than we think we are. Why? Because we don't want to look inside. We don't want anybody else to judge us, but we're even afraid to judge ourselves. And so we just try to think happy thoughts about who we are and, and kind of ignore the difficult parts and, and, and hope that we can kind of live in a, in a happy place. Or if we think about ourselves, we get depressed and we go, wow, I'm not doing well. And this seems to kind of send us down into a spiral of, uh, of being overwhelmed and looking at ourselves going, no, I, I'm not doing well. That's still living in a kind of fear, not fear of man outside, but now inside. So how then does Stephen get rid of judgment from others and even judgment about himself? Well, let's look through this passage and we'll see what he has to say to us. So this is in Acts chapter 7, verses 54 to 60. Here's what it says. Uh, he begins by telling them that you have betrayed and murdered the Messiah. So they hate that. In verse 54, when the members of the Sanhedrin, which is just the religious rulers that he was speaking to, he's really, this is a story of him being on trial. So when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious. They were that word that we looked at before. They were cut to the quick. They were incredibly angry and gnashed their teeth at him. So that's a, that's a, a way of saying they are just very, very angry. They gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, in the face of, can you imagine that? They're, they're gnashing, their, they're just so furious for being accused of something that they don't want to admit that they've done wrong. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God. He looks around and he sees people incredibly angry. He looks up to heaven and he sees the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices. They don't want to hear this. They all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. This is a form of um, about to kill somebody. And they, they, uh, the typical way is that they would disrobe somebody, push them over a cliff roll a huge rock on top of them. And if they weren't dead, they would then roll more rocks. And it's how they, uh, how they killed people back then. But this, they didn't even get to that. They're so angry, they just pick up stones and begin pummeling him with rocks. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats. So this is, again, a judgment. So we have witnesses. They laid their, that he was, you know, uh, Speaking against the religious rulers of the day, these witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. So this is the first time we hear of Saul, who becomes the Apostle Paul, who wrote a lot of the Bible, and uh, we're indebted for his wisdom and sacrifice. 
While they were stoning him, verse 59, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Now this sounds a whole lot like what Jesus said when he was on the cross. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Again, what we heard Jesus say on the cross. When he said this, he fell asleep. He died. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at three qualities of what fearless people are like. You have worst case scenario, fear of man, fear of punishment coming into full fruition, and they, are, uh, they ended up um, killing him. And in the face of that, he's not afraid. That is just remarkable. So let's look at three qualities then of what fearless people are like. First of all, fearless people fear God and not man. They fear God instead of man. He addressed Jesus as Lord. He acknowledged his sovereignty. He feared God. Now, here's what I think we need to grab hold of in order to understand this. Everybody fears somebody. There's, There's no way to be technically fearless. We all fear somebody because we all look to somebody for approval, for love, for salvation. Everybody does. We all fear somebody. The question is, who do we fear? In Proverbs 29, 25, it says, the fear of man will prove to be a snare. If we look to other people for approval, for love, to make us whole and complete, to save us from judgment, this will be a bondage to us and a snare. Again, I think we thoroughly underestimate the, uh, the power of the fear of man can have over us. But to the degree that we fear man, it becomes a bondage to us. And we end up coming under the condemnation of the very people we hope will approve us. But whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Wow. As we fear the Lord, that becomes a safe place for us because we're no longer being driven by the opinions of others. We now are driven only by one opinion, and this is who Jesus says that we are. And as we'll find out who he is, that's a safe place to be. In 2 Samuel uh, chapter 24, there's a story of King David who sinned. He, uh, he, he, uh, he, he was putting his confidence in how big his army was instead of how great God was. And so God brought judgment on David, and he had three choices as to how that judgment would be executed. And in the last two, it's you will either have three days of uh, an angel of death from God is going to come, or you'll be given into the hands of your enemy for three months. And this is what David said. Let us fall into the hands of the Lord, for his mercy is great. But do not let me fall into human hands. David understood something very profound, that, uh, that the judgment of God is is a safer place to be than in the judgment of man. We talk a lot in our church about, uh, about the anxiety that we feel in our society. And it is, I think that, that much of our society is based on trying to achieve the approval of the people around us, and it drives us insane trying to have other people like us. Am I good enough now? Will you accept me now? 
I don't think we've graduated from being uh, kids in a playground looking to be approved by our schoolmates. So the first thing that we see that sets us free from the fear of man is to fear God, that that actually is a safe place to live. The second thing that we see in this passage is that uh, Stephen looked up instead of look around. In verse 55, he says he looked up to heaven. One of the ways to be fearless, a key way to be fearless, is to change our focus. To focus on looking up at who God is instead of looking around at what people think about us. He, and when he looked up, he saw the glory and beauty of God instead of looking around and being intimidated by man's power. In Isaiah 41, 10, it says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not look anxiously about, for I am your God. Whenever we're anxious and fearful, we're always looking around. And the only way to be set free from looking around is being able to look up. And as we look up, we see the beauty and splendor and majesty of God and understand that if he defines us, if we look to him, we'll be set free from all of these lesser fears. When we focus on people, we experience condemnation and control. I think of how difficult it is for us to live inside of relationship when we are often are feeling condemned by others, controlled by others. But when we focus on Jesus, we find protection and reward. Now, as I was looking through this uh, uh, the different commentators that talked about this passage, they uh, almost all of them made note of this idea that I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Now, most of the time in Scripture, when Jesus is described as being beside God, he's described as sitting. So just follow me with this, because it's, it's a helpful thing to understand. It says usually that God is sitting at the right hand of God. Now, the idea is, is that when you're sitting... Uh, at the right hand of God, God is on his throne, that that's a position of power and authority. You're acting like a king. And so God is king over the universe. And typically, he's sitting as a king would sit, not anxious, ruling over the world. But twice we read in this passage that he's not sitting beside God, he's standing beside God. Now, what does that mean? You know, in, uh, in courts, they, tell, they talk about people uh, taking... Uh, taking the stand. Have you heard that phrase before, that they take the stand? It means that you're being called up to be a witness. So what we find then is that the king, who is the judge, is now coming off of his throne, and he's now standing as a witness, testifying to the righteousness of his son, Stephen. The one who judges us is also the one who defends us. This is a profound thought. That when we come toward uh, God as our judge, what we discover is that his interest is not in accusing us, his interest is in defending us. That all those who fear the Lord find strength in knowing that the king, the judge of heaven and earth, is actually their defender pleading their case and being declared righteous through the work of Jesus Christ. So we find protection in God. What we also find is his reward. I love this idea. You know, whenever we think about judgment, at least when I think about judgment, I think about one thing. 
how bad is it going to be? That's mostly what's going through my mind. When I think that somebody's going to judge me, it'll either be bad or really bad. Well, when God judges us, he actually looks for ways to reward, not condemn. Uh, When Moses, in Hebrews chapter 11, when Moses is described, listen to how he's described. This is Hebrews 11, verse 26. Moses regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Uh, Do you want... uh, Jesus is going to judge us. I don't know if you've heard that before. It says in in Hebrews 9.27 that that everyone is destined to die once and then face judgment. We're all going to be facing judgment. Now, don't you want that judgment day that we'll all face? Everyone in this room is going to face the judgment of God. Do you want that judgment to be about uh, uh, condemnation? Or do you want that judgment to be about reward? Can you imagine being rewarded by God for a life well lived in his name? I don't know about you, that really motivates me. I think I've got two options in any given moment. I can fear man and do something that makes this moment more bearable. Or I can do the right thing and receive an internal reward from my father. Here's what concerns me. I think that we're so worried about judgment that we shut it out of our minds and forget that there could be a kind of judgment that would be the blessings of God. If you've been in the, the, the Christian church for a while, you know how much we talk about the forgiveness of sins. And that the way that we become Christians, which of course is all true, is through a free gift of salvation. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. It's just something that God freely gives. Here is the problem if that's the only thing that's preached. We go, okay, so my relationship with God is a free gift. Right, right, great. So why would I be good? What's the point of being good? Why not? I'm just going to bank on the free gift thing, and then now I'm going to just fear man and just do whatever helps me get along with others. That's what I'm going to do. But what we find in Scripture is that there's more going on, believe it or not, there's more going on in the story of God than just the forgiveness of sins. It's also the judgment of God. And when we know that we are going to stand before a righteous judge, we become motivated to please him, to do what honors his name, and to receive his kind of reward instead of whatever approval that we can receive from other people. We want Jesus to be our judge because we know, first of all, that he's our protector and defender, and more than that, he has reward in his hand. I think that uh, I hear many people going, I don't want to think about that because it sounds kind of selfish. No, I want to be rewarded by Christ for a life well lived. I am motivated often by hearing him say, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. 
I want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Don't you want to hear God say that to you? I want to be forgiven and I want to be rewarded by my father and receive his approval of me more than the approval of man. So we see, first of all, that, uh, that Stephen feared God. He didn't fear man. We see that he looked up and saw the glory of God wanting to be approved by him and be defended by him instead of looking around at what other people think. And finally, we see that he forgives others instead of attacks others. It says in verse uh, 60, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. What's going on here? How does, what does forgiveness have to do with fearing God instead of fearing man? I think Stephen had the freedom to forgive because he embraced God's sense of justice instead of his own. You see, if I am living under needing to be approved by others and be valued by others, it's going to be competitive. I'm going to live under that kind of uh, sense of justice. But we know that, uh, that Stephen lived under the justice of God, which was about receiving his mercy and his kindness. And so he says, I know what it's like to live under that kind of justice. And because I've received that kind of justice, I want to give that away to others. I don't need to attack them. I've got, I, I, don't need to, uh, I don't need to condemn them. I'm free. I've been forgiven by God. And that frees me up to be able to give that forgiveness away to others. What's remarkable about this is that this prayer was actually answered, at least in Saul's conversion. That Saul was actually saved instead of condemned. And what if it's all because of this prayer? Lord, forgive them. Do not hold the sin against them. So let me ask you in conclusion, who do you seek to please? Who do you want to please? When you think of doing something in a moment, whose affirmation are you looking for? Is it yourself? Your parents? Your workmates? Your friends? Society? Who do you want to please? As I was preparing for this sermon, I was asking God, would you please let us long to bring honor and glory to your name? Would, would, would we seek your approval more than the approval of man? Because if we seek the approval of man, we're sure to receive God's disapproval and come under his judgment. Let us seek God's approval. In 2 Corinthians 5.10, it says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. If we do not live in light of the judgment of God, life won't make much sense. But as we live uh, knowing that we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, we have a motivation to receive his reward instead of his condemnation. So what if uh, when we feel judged and condemned now, what if it's because of a misplaced fear that we're fearing the approval of others or the approval of ourselves? What if when we feel overwhelmed and we attack ourselves and, and we, we experience self-hatred and, and I hate who I am and I'm trying to please everybody, what if all of that 
is remedied not in saying, really, I am a good person, but instead of fearing others, we would fear God. If we fear God, then his pleasure and protection and promise become our reality today. We're going to be uh, receiving communion in a moment. And I think that this is an opportunity to say, whose judgment will I be defined by? The judgment of the people around me or the judgment of God? And if it's the judgment of God that I care about, then I'm going to seek his forgiveness and then I seek to please him. And communion is a demonstration of that desire. Father, if you are my judge, then I'm going to need your forgiveness and I'm going to seek to please you. And in that decision, I find the freedom of the fear of man. So if we can have the uh, worship team come up, they're going to lead us in a song. If those who are handing out communion could do so at this time, I'd like to pray for us. And then uh, we'll worship and come back and celebrate communion together. So just hold on to those cups and we'll take them all together in just a moment. Father, I thank you that you want to set us free from the judgment and fear of man. And I thank you that the only way to be set free is to fear you. And as we fear you, as we fear your judgment, we cry out for your mercy and we long to please you. So I ask that you would somehow tonight redeem the idea of judgment. Not seeing it through the eyes of being judged by others, but understanding that we're going to come under your judgment and that we prepare ourselves for that day through seeking your forgiveness and to seek to honor your name. So I pray as we sing and as we worship, God, let these truths rest on us.